0: Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at matt Bowles maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now, here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode.
1: If you are able to work remotely or if you're able to work from home, Maybe you can work from the beach. Maybe you can work with ocean views. Maybe you can travel. You know, you don't have to stay at home. So it was like an education process as well of people that were already working remotely, but also educating those people that were not working remotely and letting them know that this is a lifestyle that they could also adapt. So it was very much about remote work and telling people that, you know, you don't have to work at the office. You can work from the beach. So that was like the motto. Now it's much more about you you don't have to be at the beach, you can be anywhere as long as you're working remotely and you actually have a community of people around you. So we're much more centered around the community side of it.
0: is The Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody. It's Matt Bowles. Welcome to The Maverick Show. My guest today is Liz Ribot. She is the co-founder and COO of Outsight a global network of co-living spaces designed to help remote workers and entrepreneurs to travel, work, and forge meaningful connections around the world. Outside accommodations include integrated workspaces, community events, and services designed to help you live your best life in some of the world's most epic locations. After opening their first location in 2015, Outsite has raised over $3.5 million and now has locations across North America, South America, Europe, and Asia. In 2019 alone, Outsite opened 15 new locations and more than doubled its membership. Originally from Puerto Rico and now a nomad herself, Liz speaks fluent Spanish, English, and enough French to get by. Liz, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Hi, hello.
0: It's so good to have you here. We should set the context. You and I are not actually in person today. We got connected through our mutual friend, Sean Tierney, who interviewed you back in Lisbon when you were both there together. And then you and I got connected. I've known about Outside for a quite quite some time now, and I haven't actually done my first stay yet, but I just booked it, and I'm going to actually be staying at your Lisbon location in May. So I'm super excited about that. Nice, nice. And then today for this interview, unfortunately, we're not together. If we were, I would have bought you a bottle of wine for this. But we are, interestingly and remarkably, we are both in the United States. I am on the East Coast in Asheville, North Carolina. And where are you today?
1: I am in San Diego. Well, actually, it's more North County and Tenitas, but we say San Diego because that's where everyone understands where San Diego is. But I should have given you my address so you would have like mailed me a bottle of wine earlier.
0: And we could be doing like a virtual wine interview here. That would be a good idea. I've actually done that the last time Sean Tierney was on my podcast. We actually did a virtual wine interview where he literally, by himself alone in the co-working space in Lisbon, opened a bottle of Portuguese wine. And I, by myself on the continent of Africa, was opening a South African bottle of wine and we were doing the virtual wine interview. So if we had a little more advanced planning, it would have been amazing.
1: (laughs) I agree. I agree.
0: All right. So Liz, I want to start this off just by you being able to share a little bit of your background. Can you talk a little bit about your experience growing up in Puerto Rico and what ultimately led you on your path to entrepreneurship? Give us that background.
1: Yeah, so I obviously I'm from Puerto Rico. I grew up there. I went to high school there. I graduated and then I decided to do this leap where I just wanted to go somewhere I'd never been before. Somewhere super far. And at that time, I was actually going to school for landscape architecture, completely different than what I'm doing right now. I think that happens to a lot of people. And I was like, okay, let's see what schools are good with landscape architecture and that are far away. And I decided to move to Idaho of old places. And I moved there in the middle of the winter. I'd never seen snow before in my life. And I got there January 2007 and went to school at University of Idaho. And I stayed there. I actually ended up staying there for seven years. Through my entire college years, I actually shifted from landscape architecture and I graduated from... um, I have a bachelor's in science, but I went into administration. (laughs) One of the most boring jobs you can have is administration. So I actually went into hospital administration and I did that for four years. And then at one point I was like, I can't do this anymore. It was like your typical nine to five job in administration. And You know, it's basically like you're building your career and at one point you can have your house and your white picket fence and, you know, everything is exactly as you expected. Everything was happening as I wanted it to happen, but I was bored. I was really bored and I just didn't want to be in Idaho anymore. I didn't want to be in an administration job anymore. So I decided to kind of take this other leap. It seems like I just every seven years, I do kind of something crazy. And I moved to California. I actually drove my car to California. It was like a 17-hour car drive. And I got an administration job in California, in Santa Cruz, actually, to be specific. And I moved to Santa Cruz. And I got an administration job because it was like my experience. I know that I worked in another hospital. And I was kind of looking for something else, something to be creative. I didn't know what it was. And then I met Emmanuel, who is the main founder of Outside, And he actually came up with this idea, which at the time, it was basically like people had not heard of it before, which was like co-living and co-working. The closest thing you had was Airbnb. Um, And even Airbnb at that time was new and people were a little bit skeptic of it. I remember when we first started the first house there in Santa Cruz, everyone was like, oh, so you're all professionals and you're all sharing a house and there's a workspace and people didn't really understand and who actually stays there. Like, there are people that work remotely. like And this was 2014. But in San Francisco, there was this huge boom of co-working. So we knew there was a market for it. And so we started the first house and I was the community manager of the first house there in Santa Cruz. And so I was doing my administration job during the day, full time. And then I was going and doing community management at the outside house in Santa Cruz. And... From there, you know, you are in this environment of entrepreneurship, and there were so many startups booming at that time in San Francisco, and you know, it, and it was almost like a little bubble because no one else understood what we were doing. My family didn't know what I was doing. It was all really new, and because of this same thing, uh, that we had like this huge connection to San Francisco, we met a lot of people that helped us to grow the business. And so, at one point, we were kind of like, okay, so we either keep going lifestyle. Or we actually take this thing and start getting more locations and get some investment and, you know, go big. And so we decided to do that. And so Emmanuel just focused. Uh, we actually did an accelerator in 2015. And, you know, from there we just, yeah, we started taking investment. We started taking more locations, hiring people. We got, uh, two new locations. And so every year we just grow more and more until now it is what it is basically now.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about your role and the business partnership in terms of, you know, the co-founder division of responsibilities and stuff like that? I know you are the COO and you mentioned that you met Emmanuel, who is the CEO now and your co-founder. Can you talk a little bit about how that dynamic evolved and how you fit into your role and what a COO does versus a CEO?
1: Yeah, and actually there's another co-founder, Stain, and he's the CTO. <laughs> and so so basically Manuel is the guy with the ideas. He like has a ton of ideas. He, he was the one that came up with the initial idea of just the co-living and co-working. He's the visionary. He sees where the company is going. His entire like job is basically just making sure that we're everyone who is in the company is following that vision, but also at the same time looking for investment and You know, looking for money and seeing where the company is going and basically overseeing that we are following that path of growth that we need to follow. And me as a COO, I just make sure that everything works. So all the locations, all of the management of the employees, like everything that has to do with the processes of the actual company and making sure that the company works.
0: I think that's awesome. And I think it's a really, really good and important example, because I talk to a lot of people that are sort of aspiring entrepreneurs. You know, they want to kind of go that direction, but they know that they are not a CEO type of person to play that role. And then they tell me what they're good at. And I'm like, you're a COO. (laughs) you know, clearly, and you're really good at that. You just need to partner with a CEO and you could co-found something or, you know, whatever that may be. And so I think that's really, really an important framework and important context for a lot of people to understand in terms of assessing what you're good at and what you like doing and then partnering up with people that have complementary skill sets to you that are good at and like doing different things. And that's how you put all the puzzle pieces together, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. For us, it was really like it wasn't like we were looking for each other. You know, we were lucky in that way that we just happened to have complementary skills. Same with Stane because he's very technical and obviously he's the CTO. So that's a skill that neither me or Emmanuel have. So we all have our own little. A skills that kind of complement to this main bigger thing. But we were lucky that we kind of found each other without actually having to look for each other in that sense that you would have to look for someone with the skills that are complementary to you.
0: That's awesome. Can you talk a little bit more about Outsight now? And maybe just kind of from the beginning, what was the void that you saw when you were co-founding and in starting to build the company? What was the problem you were solving or the value that you were adding? And and what does Outside offer?
1: So because we were much more lifestyle at the beginning, it was more like, why do you have to work from your office? Kind of ideal. Like if you can work remotely, you can work from anywhere. It was kind of like giving out this message of people because there were already people that could work remotely. and, And there's a lot of people that can work from home but they don't take advantage of it. They just either stay home or, you know, they they don't go anywhere. So it was kind of like educating people that, hey, if you are able to work remotely, or if you're able to work from home, maybe you can work from the beach. Maybe you can work with ocean views. Maybe you can travel, you know, you don't have to stay at home. So it was like an education process as well, of people that were already working remotely. But also, educating those people that were not working remotely and letting them know that this is a lifestyle that they could also adapt. So it was very much about remote work and telling people that, you know, you don't have to work at the office, you can work from the beach. So that was like the motto. Now it's much more about, you you don't have to be at the beach, you can be anywhere as long as you're working remotely and you actually have a community of people around you. So we're much more centered around the community side of it than the actual like go work from the beach side of it. That was kind of like our thing at the beginning.
0: Right. And now you, I mean, you are truly in some epic places. I mean, when people go and look at the locations that you're in, like in the Swiss Alps, they can just go and stay at an outside location, and just have this insane scenery or some of the most beautiful beaches in the world or some of the coolest cities in the world. And you've really done an incredible job, I think, with location selection. And we'll send people to the website at the, in the, we'll put that in the show notes so folks can just go and click there and see all the locations where you are. But I wanted to ask you a little bit more if you can talk about this concept of community. And what is the concept of home and of you know the importance of curating community? How do you do that? And what can people expect when they come and stay at an outside location? To
1: me, like that's one of the most important things now, like making sure that you're in a house in a space where you know you feel at home. Like a lot of our guests and members, that's the one thing that they always say, like, when you go to an outside is awesome because it's like you feel like you're coming home, you know where everything is and you know what to expect and the people that you're going to meet. So for us, community is super important. It can make your experience or break your experience to have the right kind of people around you. So we really want to make sure that the people that are staying are people who will, of course, improve the community. And also, of course, we have a community manager for location. So that helps because we have someone who organizes and caters these activities with uh, the people that you're staying with. So that's also super helpful. But the reason we have been able to create this community is because we screen everyone who stays. So we make sure that there is a screening process before people say there's an application process. And then we also have guidelines uh, for guests to follow. Obviously that's super important as well. So everyone is super respectful. And then we have, you know, we have WhatsApp groups, we have Slack groups. So we definitely want to foment that community. And another way we do it is because we have like weekly activities in each location. We also have events. So th- that's been like super great. And one of like everyone who stays, that's one of the things that they definitely take with them is that awesome sense of community.
0: Yeah. And one of the other things I want to differentiate, right, in terms of what your co living model offers is that it's, of course, the community makes it very, very different from, you know, an Airbnb stay or a hotel stay or a hostel stay or something like that. But on the other hand, One of the other concepts that we've talked about on this podcast a bunch, and I've had guests on and founders of work travel companies, right? Which I've participated in myself, a number of them like Remote Year and Hacker Paradise and those kind of programs where you have a community as well and you're moving around, right? Either you're moving around together or you can plug into a location for about a month or so at a time. And one of the things that I think is distinct about, a co living space from that model is that you have the flexibility to come for a shorter or a longer stay, right? So, like, I'm going to go stay at Outside in Lisbon for a week, right? It might even be just like six nights, right? So it's just that it happens to be that I'm going to be in Lisbon for six nights, and I'm going to be able to stay there for that short term six nights stay. But also, if I wanted to stay longer than a month, and I just wanted to go post up in the Swiss Alps for three months, I would have the latitude to do that and to be able to be there for a much more extended time, travel much slower and be surrounded by community the entire time, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. So that's definitely one of the pros is that you can go and stay for you know as little or as long as you want. There is no commitment. Obviously, if you make a reservation, you can stay two nights, you can stay 30 nights, 90 nights if you like it. And what we have happening also is that we have a lot of people who come back like the same. Like, for example, we have people who come every summer to Lisbon and so they already know each other. So it's like everyone who's there already knows each other. They come back every summer. So you kind of go home and you see your friends again. So, yeah, it's definitely different than your normal like work travel programs that you have happening this is, is definitely a different product also we have people that meet at outside and then they go to another outside together and then they see each other 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 outsides so in the sense of community that's great because what happens with these programs is that yeah you might stay in touch and a lot of people i know do stay in touch because they meet but unless you do another program again you probably we'll have to like make sure to bring these people together where outside you can actually do that because you have a place to stay and everyone's already staying there. So it is definitely different.
0: Can you talk a little bit as well about your membership model and explain folks what that is and how that works?
1: Yeah. So our membership model basically is a membership subscription. It's an annual membership. And when you become a member, we give you discounts and perks. So anyone who becomes a member, they get like a 10 to 30% off, uh, depending on the reservation. We have a ton of different perks, just international perks of discounts from different companies. Also, we, have, we give them access to our outside Slack group, outside community. And you have a couple other perks in there, like free co-working passes at our locations. We have a ton of members who go to different locations. And even if you don't want to stay, you can actually have access and co-work from there.
0: Awesome. And then how does the Slack group work? Can you share a little bit about how the virtual community stays connected, stays in touch and the value that that provides?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's good because you have, so basically every location has its own channel and we even have channels for places where we don't have locations, but we might have one in the future. So it's also great to like gather data to see if people actually want to go there or not. But we have a ton of members on the Slack group that are basically asking Questions about travel, questions about outside locations, or they tell each other, like, hey, I'm going to be here um, at this location, these states, uh, who's going to be there with me? So, you know, it's if you're traveling and you want to be part of a community, it's great because basically everyone who is there is basically there with that purpose. And so you get a lot of information out of it.
0: That's awesome. And just to clarify, you can stay at an outside location without being a member of the subscription program. So you can just go to the website and you can just book a stay at any of the outside locations, or you can join the membership program, at which point that's what starts triggering your discounts on your bookings and all of the other benefits that come across uh, with that, correct?
1: Correct, yeah. So you you can book even if you're not a member, although we do have, and this is something we started this year, we do have some locations that are members only. So we do have like four locations in total that are members
0: only. Awesome. Cool. So, all right. So we're going to link up everything in the show notes, folks. So you can go there. You can check out the outside locations and where they are. And there are some absolutely insane locations uh, where you can go and stay at the outside properties and then also learn more about the membership program and everything else. So there's going to be links to all that in the show notes. Liz, I want to switch gears right now and talk a little bit about the behind the scenes of building this as an entrepreneur. We have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the podcast. And I'm wondering if you can just take us back in those early days, maybe when you got into that accelerator. I think you guys did 500 startups. Is that right?
1: Yeah, we did 500 startups. We did.
0: Can you share a little bit about what that experience was like, what it takes to get into an accelerator, and then what the impact of that was when you came out on the other side of that?
1: I honestly don't even remember how we got in. (laughs) I guess we applied. (laughs) You know, I think it was mainly Emmanuel who was doing most of the application process and kind of like how we went in there. Someone had to run the company. That was me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like super, super helpful for us. Like I highly recommend it because at that time, we didn't have the mentality of a startup. We didn't have the mentality of growth. And going through the accelerators kind of shows, okay, like, if you actually want to go big, this is what it takes. Like, you have to do things fast, you have to do things like you have to actually like, uh, you know, the amount of marketing you do, uh, PR, the pace at which you grow, just taking an investment and learning about how to take invest and all of that is also super helpful because we had no clue at the beginning. So it really helped us in every single department. Like kind of took us a step forward on, because if we wouldn't have done that, I don't think we would have grown as fast as we did.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's incredible that you opened 15 new locations and more than doubled your membership uh, in just the last year alone. That is really awesome. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, as you were building and as you were scaling and as you were growing, what have been some of the biggest challenges or setbacks or sort of stressful entrepreneurial difficulties that you've had to overcome? And how did you overcome those? What did you learn from those?
1: So I think for me, from my experience, uh, personally, it was like going from... There was a little bit of a transition going from an office job where you clock in, clock out um, to a startup entrepreneur kind of job. Because you're pretty much you know, you're accountable for yourself. You have, of course, your coworkers. you have the investors, you have other people who are have interest in what you're doing. But for the most part, you have to be super self-motivated and organized and prioritize your time. Otherwise, it's really not going to be for you because you don't have anyone to tell you what to do. Basically, you have to make sure that you're doing the thing because you're passionate about it, and not something where you're like, okay, I need to go to work. I clock in, I clock out, someone's telling me to do this. So for me, it was that transition, which I loved, by the way, because I'm very much more like a startup minded. I, Like I said before, I never liked my administration job of like, just being there in front of my laptop and then clocking out and then going home after the day, like that's not for me. So it was certainly a transition, especially because it's kind of like, even today it's like a 24/7 job like you can be called at any time probably because I'm also one of the founders so you know you feel even more responsible but yeah it's basically a 24/7 job for me so that that was definitely a transition where you can basically you're living
0: without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you to learn more about it. You can just go to the slash consult And now back to the episode.
1: I'm breathing. This thing is not only like your job.
0: Yeah, for sure. And the travel and hospitality space also is a not an easy space there's a lot of very and I just know this just by being a customer you know in in that space and traveling a lot and staying places and stuff like that it is not an easy industry to really knock it out of the park i mean there's a lot of work that goes into that as you were sort of learning that industry and building and expanding the outside locations What has been, I guess, for the company, were there any difficulties or particular setbacks or challenges or, you know, things that maybe you weren't expecting? And then how did you guys ultimately overcome those?
1: You know, as we grow, I see them as learning experiences. We've never had like an obstacle where it's like, oh, no, like... The company is not going to work because of this. Like We've always been able to overcome those obstacles, thankfully. So they're more like, okay, learning experiences. But I would say opening in new locations sometimes can be a challenge because you come into not only... It's not only a new location. It's a new country. Is uh, Maybe you don't even speak the language. You try to in- incorporate in that country as much as you can. And learn the new, like the permits or the legalities of everything. And then you have to renovate the place. You have to work with vendors. You have to buy furniture. You have to hire people. So that to me has been one of the biggest challenges. And it's not because it's, you know, impossible. It's just because it takes a lot of work, but I actually enjoy that part of the job. Like I really enjoy it, like because everything is so new, but it has definitely been at times hard.
0: For sure. So with respect to what you were saying about transitioning into that entrepreneur lifestyle and having total control of your own time and total accountability for your own production, what have been some of the productivity techniques and routines and just kind of flow that you've developed for yourself to be as productive as possible and, and to achieve everything that you've achieved with sight, Do you have, for example, morning routines? Do you have day structure? Any productivity tips that you have that you use? would love for you to share that.
1: I love my to-do list. So I have to-do lists that I make for myself and I put due dates on those lists. So basically, that's kind of like my go-to, like what I know I need to do. I have certain things that I do every day, of course. But that to-do list is like my thing that I go to and I make sure that everything that's on that list is basically done by the end of the week. And so every week I have a to-do list that I make for myself. So that to me has been super helpful just to keep track of everything. It's super simple, but it can be the simplest thing to me. It's super helpful. I love to-do lists.
0: Awesome. And how do you deal with stress as an entrepreneur? You know, you're going along and then as a business owner, we always get these highly stressful (laughs) moments when there's either a big setback or there's a, you know, something happens and you get that sort of highly stressful moment. What techniques do you have for managing stress so that you can continue moving forward and continue being productive?
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that I've learned with being a business owner, or startup. You know, it's definitely a roller coaster. So by now I've kind of come to understand that in whenever it happens, I just say, okay, you know, this is just part of it. It's just a learning experience. We just have to deal with it and move forward because it's always going to be a roller coaster. You can never not expect that something is not gonna go wrong because something always goes wrong. There's always gonna be something. So I've just learned to accept it and embrace it. And, you know, if something does go wrong, just see the positive side of, okay, you know, it could have been worse. Uh, let's see how we can improve from this and move forward. And just keep calm, like keep calm because I am a, a manager. You know, I have my employees and if you also react like in a stressful manner, everyone else around you is also going to get stressed. So to me, what works is just. Knowing it's a learning experience and just keeping calm and trying to approach the situation as calm as possible.
0: I think that's really important. I think the managerial aspect is important as well. And let me use that actually to ask you about hiring staff and managing staff as well. But when you are hiring new staff at Outsite, what tips do you have for businesses that are hiring in order to get the right people in the right roles? How do you guys do that?
1: So to me, the most important thing is knowing what you want, you know, like what you're hiring for, like knowing exactly what role that person is going to fill. So you know exactly, because until you don't know, if you don't know exactly what position you're filling, especially with startups where sometimes there's even like positions that are made up, then you don't know who you're hiring for. So it is to me very important, the first thing, that you have a very complete list of requirements and roles and responsibilities that that, that person's going to fill so that then you can assess and see, okay, this person would be great for this role. So first thing I do is just write a description um, and then from there go go forward. But to me, when I hire people, I don't know, I just... If I click with them, I know that they're a good culture fit. I've always said this to everyone is like, if I can connect with you and you're down to earth and I can see that you have good common sense, that's a great thing for me. Because yeah, I think these days, that's one of the most important things that you can have is like hard worker and common sense. <laughs> so if you have those two qualities, then for me, you're great. It doesn't matter what role you're filling. But yeah, that's super helpful to have a good knowledge of what you actually want before you go out there and start hiring.
0: I want to ask you a little bit more about culture fit. And specifically, I want to ask you about building a company culture with an internationally distributed team, right? And you're building a brand, you're building the outside brand, and you're also building an internal company culture among the staff, but you're doing that across multiple continents with people that are all over the world, from all different cultural backgrounds, from all different countries. Can you talk a little bit about how you are building a company culture with an internationally distributed team?
1: Yeah, so everyone is from everywhere, but we all have the same vision of what we want for the company and where we're going. It also helps a lot that we actually meet in person. Like Every quarter, we have a retreat. So that helps a lot because we are a remote company and it's amazing because you know you can be anywhere and our, our employees love it. Um, but it's also super helpful to actually see each other in person every so often. So we do have retreats every quarter.
0: That's awesome, that's really, really cool. Can you talk a little bit about your management infrastructure as well as your your sort of project management, like how the teams collaborate with each other across continents and things like that, and also how you manage such a widespread, internationally distributed staff. What are your management techniques as well as your project management, internal coordination mechanisms?
1: So to me at least it's like one thing is, well, of course we have Slack. So we use Slack for absolutely everything. So everyone is on Slack, everyone is talking and chatting, and you can see what everyone is saying. So that is super helpful phone calls and video calls like we're always like on phone calls and video calls with each other and then we have like our weekly meetings that's also super helpful and we use trello boards that's for projects that for us is like great um it has been a great tool for everyone to use the trello boards each department has its own tools that they use but for the operations department at least that's what has worked yeah
0: cool so Liz, I want to ask you now about travel for you personally. You mentioned you grew up in Puerto Rico and then you came over to Idaho, which is quite a gigantic cultural change. And then, of course, now you have gone all over the world and traveled to all different places and different continents. And I want to ask you just with starting off with a macro question, at this point in your life, what does travel mean to you? Why do you travel? What do you get out of it? What does it mean to you?
1: Oh, that's a good question. So like, what does it mean to me? Well, I don't know about a meaning. It's more of a feeling. But whenever you're somewhere for too long, you kind of become a little bit stagnant, I feel. It's always good to get away and go somewhere new, somewhere. It's very refreshing, especially... If you do a job like I do, like 24 seven, where you're always like connected to me, traveling is a great way to disconnect and just like refresh my brain and see something new. So yeah, as far as a meaning, I'm not sure, but definitely a feeling every summer, like I take like six months of because I, I am a nomad, I could say I'm a nomad, but I do travel a little bit differently. Like I take six months off and then I go and travel for six months. So it's kind of like I travel and then I hibernate for six months. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I mean, nowadays, it's a little bit different for me because I do travel for pleasure still, I would like to say, but I am traveling for business most of my time nowadays because every time I go to an outside is definitely more business than pleasure. But yeah.
0: And are there any particular travel experiences that you've had that really stand out to you? particularly memorable maybe adventures or misadventures or meaningful significant experiences that you've had while traveling that have shaped you or that stand out
1: yeah i mean to me when traveling is always like the people you meet like the different perspectives that you get that you wouldn't get if you didn't travel because obviously if you don't travel you stay in the same place and you're talking to the same people that's one of the things that is awesome with outside though like right now for example i'm in san diego and i'm Like I'm really close to the outside San Diego and I don't even have to travel to meet different people because I can just walk there and there's all kinds of very cool, nice, different people staying at the outside there. So I can just go in there (laughs) and just meet people from different countries. But yeah, when you travel, just the people you meet, it's just the perspectives you get, especially when you're a creative person. You definitely need that rush of like new ideas, new perspectives. Yeah. For me, it's like a breath of fresh air.
0: Awesome. All right, Liz, what is the future of Outside? You have really built it and really scaled it and really developed the brand to quite a place right now this year. And as you and your co-founders think forward, you know, five years or 10 years into the future, what is the future of Outside that you're conceptualizing? What is the future vision? Where are you taking this? So
1: where we want to go is basically just build a global network. I know it already looks like we're global and we kind of are, but uh, we would still like to keep expanding and have more locations in different places. We don't have an outside in every country just yet. So there's still plenty of places to go. We always like to go where places where we are like ourselves, we would go. So it's also very cool. Whenever we open a new location, it's like also like we're opening it for ourselves because It's like a location like we've been wanting to go or we would want to go there or we've gone there before and we want to go there again. So definitely keep working and expanding the network and have more locations because the whole idea with outside is that it doesn't matter where you go. You can go somewhere that you can call home, which is outside uh, where you know what you're going to find. You know, you're going to find the same amenities, the same comfortable place to to live. You're going to find good Wi-Fi and you're going to find uh, an amazing community of people. So yeah, we're just going to keep expanding the network.
0: So awesome. I'm super excited to stay at my first outside in Lisbon in just a few months and then uh, many more locations after that. I always look through your website and I just see the places where you are. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to go stay there. So we're going to link all that up in the show notes. And at this point, Liz, are you ready to move into the final section, the lightning round?
1: Okay, let's do it.
0: Let's do it. The lightning round. All right. I got to start this off by asking you, because I know you're a big fan of wine and I am as well. And it's unfortunate that we're not sharing a bottle today, but I want to ask you for if you have one specific favorite wine, or if you have like two or three, you can name like your top three, but I want to get your favorite wines. What are they?
1: Okay. So my favorite wines, I'm going to say lately it has been Barolo. I love Barolo. It's just amazing. Any kind of Barolo you can give me, I'll take it. French wine, you can never go wrong with French wine. I love French wine from a Bordeaux to a Cabernet. Is, to me, they're great. They're all great. And then if you're going to have to do white, then I just go with a Chardonnay. Uh, again, French. Yeah. I love French wine. So definitely my go-to.
0: Amazing. I was just almost two years ago now, I did a trip to the French wine country. I went to a wine festival in Bordeaux and then drove the Route de Grand Cru in Burgundy. And it was just totally insane. One of the highlights of my last couple of years for sure.
1: Nice. I've always wanted to do one of those, but I've never have, but I have been to Bordeaux. So yes.
0: That's an amazing, amazing, amazing place. Awesome. All right, Liz, what is one book that has significantly influenced you over the years that you would recommend people check out?
1: So I don't read books for like, you know, because I'm always working. I don't really read books for work. I read them for entertainment. So I think one of the best books I've read like in the past couple of years was Wine and War, which have to do with wine. But it was the correlation between like World War II and the vineyards and it's super, super interesting and it's entertaining, but it's also, there's a lot of historical facts. So highly recommend that book.
0: Liz, if you could go back in time now, knowing everything that you know, and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to 18-year-old Liz?
1: Very cliche, believe in yourself. (laughs) I feel like when you're 18, you don't really have the confidence uh, that you have when you get older after you've done, you know, after everything. Well, I'm now, I'm old now. I'm 30. So yeah, I would say I wish I had the confidence I have now when I was 18. But yeah, everyone says that. But I don't, I I really would love to have the confidence I have now when I was 18.
0: Awesome. What are your top three favorite Travel destinations that you've ever been to that you'd most recommend people check out
1: top three travel destinations okay I'm gonna start with Puerto Rico, but I'm biased because I'm from there and I live there. Uh, obviously, I grew up there, but I feel like Puerto Rico doesn't get the marketing that it deserves. I always say this, and anyone who knows me knows this. It's like I always say like why everyone goes to Costa Rica? Puerto Rico is so much better no I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: Can you recommend a specific place in Puerto Rico or like if someone was going to Puerto Rico for the first time, what should they check out there?
1: You know, it's an island. So the cool thing is like if you go like one visit, you can go anywhere. You can go to San Juan. You can go to the National Forest. You can go to the little islands next door. Vieques and Culebra. You can go to the West Coast and check out the surf. There's a lot of things to do. There's plenty of beaches. The amazing thing about Puerto Rico also is people are really warm. The culture is really amazing. Like, you know, the food, the music, that to me is one of the best things and what makes Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico.
0: Awesome. And what are your other two favorite travel destinations in your top three?
1: Europe, of course. Portugal. I go to Portugal every summer. I love Portugal, Lisbon, the South. It's really great. So I would say that's my my second destination. And then, as third destination is France, just because I love Europe in general, but France, like we were talking before, uh, is just, yeah, the wine, the food, it's just a special place for me.
0: Spectacular. Totally agreed. That's awesome. Okay, Liz, last question. What are your top three bucket list destinations, places that you've never been, you most want to see that are highest on your list right now?
1: Yeah. So the first one is Japan. I, always wanted to go to Japan and I've never been able to. I thought last year was going to be the year, but it wasn't. So maybe this year will be the year. But everyone that goes to Japan always has amazing things to say. So yeah, I'm really curious. And the second one, I would say just in general, there's plenty of places. I always go to the same places in Europe. And that's great because I'm nostalgic. So I like tradition. So I always like to go back to the same places, but I should explore more. So my goal for the summer is like, I want to go and visit places in Italy. I want to go to places in Spain that I haven't been. So I definitely have lots of places in Europe that I haven't been that I want to go this year. Awesome. And third, you know, this is not really a a destination a lot of people would think of, but I would love to go to Russia. There's something about their culture that's really interesting to me. I And yeah, that's definitely on my bucket list.
0: Well, I just was in Russia this past year in 2019 for a month, and it was amazing.
1: Nice. Where? Where in Russia?
0: So I did. I went to St. Petersburg, and then I went to Moscow, and then I did the Nomad Train, which is taking the Trans-Siberian Railway along with like 30 other nomads from Moscow all the way across Siberia into Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia.
1: And how was that?
0: That was amazing. It was like a 14-day... So I I got a 30-day visa for Russia. So I did two weeks between St. Petersburg and Moscow. And then the train journey was two weeks because we were stopping in the different Siberian towns for like a couple nights each. So we went to like Kazan and Novosibirsk and Irkutsk and those kind of places. Went out to see Lake Baikal and just incredible scenery. Amazing places. And it was a blast to do it with nomads the maverick show listeners will recall that i interviewed eddie rich on the nomad train so amazing location independent entrepreneur we literally recorded the podcast interview in a train car during a 37-hour train leg with like a cheap bottle of wine that we bought on the train it was amazing
1: (laughs) russian wine
0: (laughs) russian wine yeah exactly
1: Awesome. So I I might hit you up with some questions later because I definitely want to go there.
0: Definitely do it. And I highly recommend Japan as well. It's a great pick. I've spent about, I've gone to Japan three times over the last two years for about a month each. So I've spent about three months in Japan and it is absolutely spectacular. And then of course, we got to coordinate on, you know, some of those uh, French wine trips as well. So awesome picks. All right, Liz, I want you to let folks know how they can connect with you, how they can stay at outside, how they can follow you on social media. How do you want people to come into your universe?
1: So any questions or anything, I always use LinkedIn, you know, always use LinkedIn. So you can just find me on LinkedIn. That's the easiest way. Of course, if you want to make a reservation or anything like that, you can always go on our website or... You, we also have an email info at outside.co if you have any questions at all. I don't, you know, I'm not big on the social media. I don't know. I've never gotten really into it. But I do have an Instagram if anyone is interested. But I don't post much. So no worries. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, if you want to give your handle that, you can.
1: It's L-I-Z-R-B-T.
0: Awesome. We're gonna link everything up to the show notes, folks. So we'll let you know how you can connect with Liz directly. There'll be the direct links to her social media handles there as well as the direct links to outside so you can check out their locations, which you should do anyways. I mean, just go look at the pictures and the places where they are. It's insane.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the outside Instagram is great. That one, it's amazing. So that one I recommend they can follow that one.
0: And what's that handle?
1: Um, that's outside co.
0: Outside Co. Okay, great. So we're going to put links to all of this stuff in the show notes. Just go to one place at themaverickshow.com and go to the show notes for this episode. You'll see it all there. Liz, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thank you for having
0: me. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books people and resources mentioned in this episode you'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com
1: do you want to learn how to travel the world for a year plus with carry-on luggage only and look good while you're doing it Go to themaverickshow.com slash packing to see a free recorded webinar and learn exactly how Matt does it. He shows you the luggage he uses, the specific items he packs, and the travel brands he likes most. Even if you're just looking to go on shorter trips, but pack more efficiently and eliminate your checked luggage, you won't want to miss this. You can watch the free recorded webinar at themaverickshow.com forward slash packing.
0: Would you like to get Maverick Investor Group's white paper on real estate investing for digital nomads? How to buy U.S. rental properties from anywhere in the world and finance an epic international lifestyle? Just go to themaverickshow.com slash nomad. The report is totally free and available for you now at themaverickshow.com forward slash nomad.